This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, and actually the crappiest room in my house in West Hollywood, the one room I haven't finished yet. Is that the ballroom? No, my office, my war room. Oh, did you have a map like Churchill's war rooms of continents that you're going to both defend and invade? I want that before we decided to build the Museum of U.S. Soccer mm-hmm. in the basement of my house in the Hamptons, I was going True. to build a faithful replica of the war rooms in my basement out there. Oh, life goals, Dave. Oh, what a week it's been. We're back. I, I, I yeah. don't just mean that in a football sense, which we're going to delve into. But first of all, you survived Kiowa. Kiowa Island, Rog. The golf on Kiowa Island for any... Uh, golfing GFOPs. I mean, people go to Pebble Beach, people go to Bandon, a lot of people go to Pinehurst. They make the pilgrimage to Augusta, though they'll never play that course. But I got to tell you, the ocean course at Kiowa Island, Rog, it is, it's like no other landscape in the United States. It is a test of golf. It is such a beautiful, beautiful golf course. Shout out to everybody uh, down at the ocean course, especially the golf staff there and the head pro down there, Stephen Younger, listens to the pod, Rog. It's why he gives us a very good starting time. One day, Rog, I'm going to get you back out on the golf course. <sighs> and the lion shall lie with the lamb, Dave. It brings out a dark Rog, the game of golf. And the game of ping pong and the game of golf, they just bring out a deeply competitive, violent side that I like to repress and immerse in readings about the former Soviet Union, the Holocaust and First World War poetry. But it's been quite a week for me too, Dave. We could add the game of tennis to that, Rog, and almost any other sport. Um, <laughs> tell me about your week, Rog. Have you, are you getting over your car crash? I'm repressing, safely repressing the car crash. My highlight of my week, Dave, surviving several nights in a recording studio in Hell's Kitchen with you. Oh, my God. Was that last week? That feels like a year ago. It does. Dave and I taping our book on tape. I think nowadays it's called an audio book. Yeah. Possibly, whatever it is, possibly the worst audio book in audio book history you and I taped over many nights. I will say, I don't know how it was for you, but I found it an odd process reading your own crap out loud into a microphone. It's a bit like watching yourself pleasure yourself or how I imagine it looks, listeners, to watch yourself pleasure yourself. How was it for you, David? Yeah, well, watching you pleasure yourself was interesting. You do that I all the time. I enjoyed it. I went in... I've got to be honest, I went in not looking forward to the process. Yep, I, and, I knew uh, that. But we, we had sushi. Yep. It, it's fair to say we had a couple of drinks. <laughs> you drank multiple cans of Budweiser. Malbec Chaser. Yeah. So, um, most, uh, and I quite enjoyed it in the end. Well, well, I'll tell you what I enjoyed. I enjoyed learning a lot about you by hearing you read your pieces that you wrote for the book. Learning a lot about me by hearing the pieces that I made up about myself in order to finish the book. <laughs> no, it's all true. It's all verifiable, Rog. Oh, I love hearing you read about your father, your relationship with football. But there's one moment that I wanted to recreate that I enjoyed most. When we read a section together, we actually wrote one of the sections together. It was about our favourite quote. And I want to read it now, mostly to get to your bit, which I did find truly moving. And that might have been only because I was two bottles of Malbec in. But I think it says, our choices say a lot about who we are as humans, our outlook on life, and possibly the differences in between us both. Are you ready, Dave? I'm going to jump yeah. on in with mine. Go ahead. <sighs> Favourite quote. This is the entry from the Encyclopedia Blazitanica. As a child, I was always fascinated by the stories of early 20th century exploration with which we were continuously regaled at school. Tall tales of ill-equipped teams of men, sounds like Everton Football Club, who raced to be the first to climb impenetrable mountains or traverse unforgiving ice-cloaked passages. In those days, when Britain still had an empire, their achievements were national victories. The one story that always stood out was that of Captain Lawrence Oates, one of five men. Do you remember? Did you know about him? Yes, totally. I think we view this story a little bit differently, but go ahead. Was he part of your education? Oh, totally. A hero. <sighs> a formative hero. <laughs> I'll carry on then. <laughs> well, he was one of five men, dear listeners, who perished while attempting to return to base after being beaten to the South Pole by Norwegian Roald Amundsen. Boo! In 1912. Oates struggled with wet feet throughout the 79-day journey across packed ice. 
and as he closed in on the pole, his team had the horror of encountering the abandoned remnants of the Norwegian's tent. Inside, a note from Amundsen, an early troller, I think, listening to this, informing them that he'd beaten them to it. I wonder what he wrote. Defeated and distraught, the small party attempted to return home, yet progress was agonisingly slow. Blizzards battered the party, and oats, suffering from both gangrene and frostbite, oh, my two biggest fears, had his big toe turned black and his body become yellow. Never a good sign. Listeners, if your feet have gone black and your body's become yellow, stop listening to the pod right now and go and go and look up WebMD. Is it yeah. a bit... <laughs> Yeah, do it all on WebMD. Don't go and see a doctor. <laughs> His inability to walk bogged down the entire party, who, despite Oates' protestations, refused to leave him behind. The 17th of March, it was his 32nd birthday. Oates awoke and muttered his last words to the rest of the team. I'm just going outside, and I may be some time. I think you think his voice is deeper than the way I do it, don't you? Yeah. How do you, how do you think he does it? I'm just going outside, and I may be. Sometime. I'm just going outside <laughs> and it may be some time. He then proceeded to wander off, as you do, into a minus 40 degree Fahrenheit blizzard and he was never seen again. <laughs> oh, what a hero. <laughs> God. Oh, every year, throughout my schooling, our high school vice principal, Mr. Stott, and what an evil man you were, Mr. Stott. I know you're not listening because you're dead, but if you were, I'd love you to know how awfully evil you were. He'd recount this story on the anniversary of Oates' death, inevitably breaking down with a wobble of his bottom lip while attempting to blurt out the explorer's last words of self-sacrifice. I'm just going outside and maybe some time, remains my favourite quote in the world. For Mr. Stott, it was a quote of virtue. For Devo, it's a quote of virtue. The summation of all it means to be an English gentleman. To me, the story and Stott's annual pantomiming reenactment, they seem faintly ridiculous, and the quote became a life lesson I've never forgotten. A reminder to avoid all life-threatening exertions. Why risk everything when you can stay at home and watch football on your couch? That's me, Q. Davey. Yeah, my favourite quote, a little different, is something that I've used not to laugh at, and to gain revenge and laugh at an old teacher at school who I loathed. But something <laughs> that I found at a very key time of my life, Rog, at that sort of point of my early 20s, 24, 25, similar time to when you saw me in that picture that you posted of me in 1992, Dave Owen 1992, Dave Owen Hare. Well, I'm trying to figure out how to resolve the two things I want to achieve in manhood. It's I want to remain positive and nice and friendly and good and open. But I realize life sometimes means that you've got to make tough decisions. You've got to be quite hard. Yeah. And you've got to run away from the fight, Rog. Yeah, when your big toe turns black and your body becomes yellow, for instance. Trying to sort of meld the sort of the warmth with a little bit of toughness to get you through uh, adulthood. The velvet and glove. I was dating a young actress, as I did a lot in the 1990s. Is this cue for Rog to guess who it is? <laughs> no, no, it's not. She's not famous. Was it Kathy Bates? No, it wasn't. So, uh, we, I shot down those rumours year, years ago, Rod. <laughs> but she's a lovely woman. I'm not saying, didn't say she's not famous. She was a very good actress, just ended up doing something else with her life. But I went to see her and she was in a play called The Time of Your Life by William Saroyan, one of the Ooh, great Googling American playwrights of the 1940s. Mm. What theatre was it playing at? I think it was the Stella Adler Theatre in Hollywood. One of the Stella great, Adler. great playwrights. Great play. And it has a prologue that opens the whole piece. And the prologue, I'm not, I, I, I'm not a big fan of theatre. We've spoken about it before. But this Hate prologue, it. literally, it bolted me down into my seat and it had me gasping how hard it hit home to me. And I went home and I printed it out in my unfinished office, Rog, in my desk. I've got piles of copies of this because I give it to lots of people. OK, this is it. In the time of your life, live so that in that good time, there shall be no ugliness or death for yourself or for any life your life touches. Seek goodness everywhere, and when it is found, bring it out of its hiding place and let it be free and unashamed. Place in matter and in flesh the least of values, for these are the things that hold death and must pass away. Discover in all things that which shines and is beyond corruption. Even Rog. Encourage virtue <laughs> in whatever heart it may have been driven into secrecy and sorrow by the shame and terror of the world. Ignore the obvious, for it is unworthy of the clear eye and the kindly heart. Be the inferior of no man, nor of any man be the superior. Remember that every man is a variation of yourself. 
No man's guilt is not yours, nor is any man's innocence a thing apart. Despise evil and ungodliness, but not men of ungodliness or evil. These understand. Have no shame in being kindly and gentle. But if the time comes in the time of your life to kill, kill and have no regret. Those lines, Rod, the prologue from the time of your life by William Saroyan. I think that some of the greatest lines ever written in the English language have got me through some very dark times. They've even helped me rationalise John Terry. Oh, that last line, it did come a bit out of nowhere. I thought you were going one way and then you came back to the killing. That's what is so amazing. It has you all inspiring. And then at the end it says, but all of that, you're a good person. You've done amazing things. You've been generous. You've been open. You've been understanding of people. But if the time comes in the time of your life to kill, kill and have no regret. I love it. I've got to say, I'm, I'm terrified. However, J-Dubs, producer is nodding as if, yeah, sure, self-explanatory. <laughs> to me, dear listener, if the time comes, run, run. <laughs> That's the difference, ultimately, between David and I. And in this book on tape, which is really awful, it comes out the same time as our book. And thank you, GFOPs, for your incredible pre-orders. I've got to say, we were, we were like number 500 and something on Amazon, which is an insane number uh, of awful books uh, in circulation this early, and it means a huge amount to us. The book on tape, it's almost like a companion uh, to the book itself. I think we did more talking about why we wrote what, what we wrote. It was like the behind the music of the world's worst book, the book that killed the public. <laughs> and I've got to say, I enjoyed every single second. And by the way, this podcast is becoming the behind the music of the audiobook session of our audiobook. Oh, it's wheels within wheels, just mirrors within mirrors, Dave. On the note of MIB business... Yeah. Well, I say thanks for your lovely feedback, GFOPs, to the Men in Blazers 1992-93 season special, which ran yesterday. I think it's going to run um, a bunch more. It's, if you didn't see it, it's on our Twitter feed right now, the whole show. It was a huge amount of work. It was a very different Men in Blazers show for us to create. And your, your feedback on the historic stories that you would like us to tell, or Sully, or both, are they're really important to us. So let us know what you think and what you would like us to cover next. Brace yourself. Bad news, America. Double men in blazers next week. This sounds like it should have a Surgeon General's warning, Dave. We're on, we're on twice next week. Oh, it's not good for anyone. Hat trick special, where we review the 10 greatest hat tricks of Premier League history and Carly Lloyd's. And also Stephen Naismith's hat trick. Yeah, well, I did actually jump cut to save time my Stephen Naismith hat trick against Chelsea greatest moment of my life DVD. It just dumped it yep. right in there. April 16th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It is a gorgeous, joyous, really, to talk about people like Robbie Fowler and, and Canu was a total, total delight. And I'm, again, looking forward to, to the response to that. And then we go live. We live, Davo, next Tuesday, April 17th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN. And even worse, there's a newsletter. Yeah. The Raven relaunches this Friday. Sign up via Men in Blazers. Dot com. We've got contributor slash GFOP slash editor of GoMakeMeASandwich.com. Sophie Gator interviewing one of my favorite authors at the moment, Gwendolyn Oxenham, who wrote the amazing analysis of where in the world the women's game is right now under the lights and in the dark. And MIB merch, thanks to Jake Wagner for designing a ton of Golden Blazer special gear, really golden, available on MenInBlazers.com as is information about the Golden Blazer show in New York and the Mexico national team show in LA. We cannot wait for that. Huge guests lined up. We are not worthy. But, oh, to the football. Absolutely, Rog. To the football. We've got a packed show. We're going to wonder if Paul Pogba's agent is the Premier League scriptwriter after Man U's astonishing three-goal comeback that prevented their crosstown rivals, Man City, from lifting the Premier League trophy in a derby for the ages. Speaking of rivalries, Rog, we're going to talk a Merseyside derby in which Big Sam's tactics made football miserable, not just for you, Rog, but for everyone in the world. And we lather ourselves in honey and dive into the bear pit that is the relegation zone. Plus, Atlanta administers a King Peach beatdown yeah. on LAFC and Carly Lloyd's 100th US Women's National Carly. Team goal. OK, to the football, Rog. Oh, what a week of football. The Champions League, Zlatan Mania the US women's styling and profiling, and this weekend's breathless Premier League action. But I want to raise a glass, David, to an unknown GFOP. You'll know who you are, listener. You ran into my brother, Nige, 
when he was in Berlin. And I want you to know, listeners, my brother Nigel, he's older than me, but he looks much younger because he looks after himself. But we're almost identical, just English balds. And this GFOP was on the way <laughs> to watch Brazil play Germany in Berlin and was so psyched to run into a person they thought was me. And their con- my brother told me their conversation went a bit like this. You're that guy from Men in Blazers? To which my brother said, no, no, I'm not. And then the GFOP said, Rog! And my brother said, Nige. And the GFOP said, come on, Rog, you don't have to pretend with me. And my brother said, I'm not Rog. So to whoever the GFOP is, I want to apologize. Please get in touch with me so I can make this up to you. Because in this story, from your perspective, you met a Rog who acts like a total dick. Please know you encountered the one man in the world who looks like me, but is not me. So I raise this. Budweiser to GFOPs around the world, to football, to my gorgeous brother Nige. This Bud's for you all. Bud fam, blood fam. Oh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. And I think Nige is actually much nicer than you, Rog. Oh, he's so much nice. That's the irony of the story. Oh, good. I did a lot. Irony was lost on me. Big in New York in the 40s, <laughs> never made it out west. <laughs> I'm in West Hollywood, Rod, sun shining. I have no ability to decipher sarcasm or he's, irony. He's right a now. lovely bloke, and I'm a horrible, horrible human being. But that story, I've got to put things right. Okay, Rod, Manchester City 2, Manchester United 3, oh. a tale of two halves that will live in Manchester's footballing annals for eternity with a chance to clinch the Premier League title. Man City conduct an absolutely symphonic first half complete with a thumping Vincent company header, an Ilkay Gundogan spin and score, and two comedy misses from Raz. But in the second half, United's number six in the programme, number one on the gram, Paul Pogba, sparked an astonishing comeback, scoring in the 53rd and 55th minutes before big Mike Smalling added a third in the 69th minute. United hold on to prevent their rivals from clinching what is still an almost certain Premier League title. What a game of football, Rogelio. Oh, Davo, I'm still flabbergasted by that which we saw. Uh, two resurrections. Two resurrections. I mean, that is what is so staggering about this. Manchester City down, out, after meeting a buzzsaw of a Liverpool in the Champions League. A night of humiliation. They bounce right back from that abject night in which they've been reduced to cowering wrecks yet again by Jurgen Klopp's audacity, only to then have United bounce back from their own degradation of a first-half bare-bottom spanking. It was wheels within wheels. I, I just could not wait to unpack it with you all. Going right back to the beginning. I mean, counter to pre-game expectations, J-Dubs told me, you know, City are going to kill this game off early, the excitement, because they're just going to play B-sides. They're going to be running out their Zinchenkos, their Phil Fodens. They didn't. Pep fielded a strong first eleven. I mean, Mourinho, he hoped that Pogba, Herrera and Matic could clog things up. But in that first half, City, those strikerless, they just couldn't be contained. And in the 25th minute, it was Vonson company with what can only be described as goal of a shagger, David. It's so good to see him back. It was vintage company, Rog. Oh, off the set piece, just pure determination to get his head on that ball. Eyes bulging, locked in focused the bonus joy of being able to bully Chris Smalling on the way to meet the ball and then just bullet header at home. I mean, what a leader. What a moment. As you say, so often injured, so often watching passively in agony from the stands, wondering when will he be back? Would he ever be back? His desire never diminished. Returning, not just to contribute, but to lead. What a leader he is, David. Can we just say this? I know this ends in a march of folly, this game. But from a leadership perspective, when that ball went in, and company ran towards the adoring City fans' delirious, did feel like we were watching the final scene in the City Champions 2017-18 DVD. He's a remarkable human being. I love a central defender, a captain, someone who scores goals, defends with strength, moves forward with class, like he's got everything. He's a good-looking boy also, Rog. Four, Four languages. Company. Four languages he yeah. speaks to. And he ushered in the floodgates, Gundawan the spin and shot as if he was on ice skates and everyone else had snowshoes on. The atmosphere at City in that moment, so carnival. Didn't seem to matter to City fans that they had to watch Sterling, best of season misses DVD worth of blown finishes. 
I mean, any one of those gilt-edged chances that Raz blew in the first half would have surely killed off the game for reals. At Trevor Noah, GFOP, a huge Manchester United fan. I loved his tweet. If someone ever sends an assassin after me, I hope they send Raheem Sterling. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. This was not who the, the uh, young Englishman who's had an amazing season. This was not his good game. This was vintage Raz. It, w- it was, but despite that, Dave, out, as the first half ran to a close, stand up for the champions, the City fans cheered. And let's be clear, this was a first half played by champions, right? I mean, it could have been 5-0. The game was just so non-competitive. Well, yeah, but United didn't sit back. They sort of paid the price for trying to, you know, play some football against City. And this is why a lot of teams don't play football against City. And I got to tell you, I still had a feeling as I went on Twitter at the end of the first half, Rod, and I just read, you know, those journalists, those high minds of the uh, English Premier League media immediately start calling, asking the question about, like, would Mourinho be fired before the clock struck midnight tonight? This was it. This was the champions. This was the end of Manchester United. This was all those things. I must say... And I was sitting there on Delta Airlines, flying back from South Carolina to Los Angeles, watching it on the satellite, live TV. Thank you, Delta. And I was just thinking, do you know what? Underestimate Jose Mourinho and Man United at your peril because they're in that dressing room right now and they do not want this to be the eventuality of the game. Plus, Rog, having seen Zlatan, former Man U Red Devil, lead a a comeback from three goals down against LAFC. I've now believed that, like, comebacks from two, that's nothing. You know, that's so interesting because I look at my game notes and I'd scribbled at halftime. I honestly think they should mix up the teams in the second half like you do with under eights when one side's smashing the other. Just change that's some of the big cool. boys around, shirts and skins. I mean, United, they really were. They were so hoolybox in the first half. It, it, I mean, to me, it only makes what they achieved in the second half more impressive to analyse and more of a marvel. I mean, even Rebecca Lowe, and I don't like to throw her under the bus, but she did say on television yesterday that 22-year-old Hair Rodge looked terrifying. She thought you looked cute, was her quote, Davo. 22-year-old Hair Davo. So Rebecca Lowe said at half-time, she said, these are the top two teams in English football, but the golfing class is seismic. I mean, that, that's how bad United were. And she was not wrong. She was not wrong. We were not wrong. United were so flat. Sanchez, invisible. Lukaku, barely touching the ball. Pogba. I mean, it's really important. It re- I know many United fans had such pleasure reading the tweets that people had at halftime about Pogba's first 45. But his performance, it had been roughly on par as a sporting achievement with Sergio Garcia's 13-stroke hack around the par 5 15th at Augusta, David. Huge amount of tweets crapping on Pogba. But it should be noted, he was terrible, Davo. And his and United's resurrection, to me, was all the better for appreciating just how poor they were in that first 45. But I need to know, because you understand Jose Mourinho better than Jose Mourinho understands himself. He's got this elite squad of born competitors who had little to compete for other than their dignity. What do you imagine Jose said at halftime for reals? Well, I think we know, and I think that you know, uh, we Mike know what Smalling they told us. Said in the post game that he said very little because he didn't really have to, because he's spoken to this team so much. And for for Jose, so much of football is about pride, um, and he takes the pressure on himself all the time. Tries to take it off the players, although occasionally throws them sensationally under the bus. See Luke Shaw. But he just didn't want to be clowns. So that's what he said. It's like, we're not going to be the clowns. He said, you don't want to be the clowns standing there watching them get their title. Pretty much the same thing he told your Chelsea players ahead of the Stevie Gerrard slippy game, which Mm. denied Liverpool the 2014 title. Maggie Haberman, I spoke to her. She got a leak uh, from within the White House where she said the real speech Mourinho gave was as follows, David. And this is off the record. I'm only going to tell you. But he said, lads... I've kicked down children's sandcastles on the beach. I've ripped lollipops from babies' hands. I've peed in the punch at countless parties without any of the other revellers knowing. And trust me, the single greatest pleasure is to destroy other people's moments of true joy. Destroying other people's happiness. It's better than your own happiness. And I think he looked at the whole team there and he said, you should all try it. Who's with me? And they just all ran out there, just charged out like that scene 
in Animal House, Davo. That is exactly what happened. As Sir Alex Ferguson used to say, and you love this quote, you speak to pro footballers as if they are racehorses. That's how we used to talk to them. Motivation, Davo, is such a crazy thing in football, the motivational messages that the managers use. When you speak about Jose Mourinho, about nothing more pleasurable to him than destroying the happiness of others, I can't believe you don't appreciate and like him more. You know, I it's, do. That's so funny. that you admire. It's, I did ask him once. I said to him, you look, when I watch you, as if you enjoy depriving other teams of their potency and making them unable to score more than you enjoy your own team scoring. And he looked at me as if I was a moron and said, yes, of course. Who doesn't? When he said that, I wanted to kiss him on the mouth. And it worked. Whatever he said, Davo, whatever he said worked because Pogba, my God, I've seen Marvel comic book heroes get bitten by spiders and transform themselves in ways less profound than what happened to him first 45 to second 45. I mean, he clearly spent much of half time reading the angry mocking. What does a Pogba do tweet today? Because we're within 90 seconds. Oh, I mean, those 20 minutes of football that Man United played after the break. I mean, you underestimate Manchester United Football Club. And I say this, I'm not a Man U fan, but you underestimate Manchester United Football Club. You underestimate Jose Mourinho. You underestimate players of the quality of Paul Pogba at your peril. You know, however much we're going to lord Liverpool and Tottenham this season, Man United are miles clear in second. Over the course of this Premier League season, they've been the second best team in the Premier League. And over the course of the second half, and certainly for those first 20 minutes, they showed why, for me, they're still the biggest threat to Manchester City next season. You know, with all these articles before the game of, are Liverpool favourites for the Premier League next, next season? Man United have still been the second best team in the Premier League over the season. And I actually was... The seatbelt sign was on, Rod, so I couldn't stand up and cheer. But I stood up and cheered every second of that second half. You know, I, I found it dramatically fascinating that it was Pogba at the heart of it. Terrible first half, second half, unstoppable. Both his goals were remarkable, finely worked moves, which he finished with aplomb, with confidence, with defiance, ending his 15-game goal of street. A day after, he'd been iced publicly by Pep Guardiola with a, a Roger Stone-level leak on the eve of the game that he'd been offered Pogba by his agent, Mino Raiola, in the January transfer window. Proof again that spite scoring, perhaps, is the greatest kind of scoring. It was an amazing human achievement by Paul Pogba. So swamped with doubt, so swamped by uncertainty in his very position in, at Old Trafford, his very status with that huge transfer fee to answer after that first half so defiantly, so deliriously, so unstoppably. It's astonishing also how quickly Edison's giant neck tattoo loses almost all of its cool when City leak goals as they do. And even more remarkably was that the winner, Davo, the winner was scored by run to the litter, Chris Smalling. Yeah, my, big Mike Smalling. As he screamed, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. What a finish. So much to do when that ball dropped down to him. I think he just shut his eyes and told himself to be strong and just imagine he was trying to score on David De Gea. Yeah, he was like he was back at Maidstone United, Rog, <laughs> all over again. I mean, I thought a couple of years ago to be one of the world's best young defenders, now discarded by England, laughed at at Manchester United, and he scores the winner in a Manchester derby for the ages. Uh, good feeling. Nice guy. United written off, Paul Pogba written off, Chris Smalling written off over and over again. I mean, all of them turning the narrative around. I, I, I scribbled in my notebook, United, they're going to win the title this season for sure. City, you'd had their hands on the Premier League trophy for sure at halftime. Now look, just broken. I mean, what a psychological collapse. It's almost as good as the Los Angeles derby. How does this happen? Well, let's face it. Man City have had a pretty bad week. Two games in which they've conceded three goals to major Premier League rivals. And this game wasn't even the important one this week. This was seen as being something of a formality. I think Pep is now regretting having not started his younger players and just like given it up because this is awful. It was like, it feels like a very significant loss now. And in fact, in the whole course of the Premier League season, this isn't really a very significant loss at all, but it feels that way because of the nature of the loss and of the team he put out there on the field. You know, I'm fascinated by how this happens. Though. I mean, how you go from a two-goal lead and your hands on that trophy to just absolute agony and self-flagellation and I can only think I, I interviewed Vincent Company when City last won the league and he said 
for this team, for this locker room, for this club, complacency is our greatest threat. And I think ultimately it could be that as legs tire at the end of this exhausting campaign, a superlative and exhausting campaign, that a level of complacency has kicked in. Because that's all that I can think, Dave, is what took over that City locker room at halftime to be so Jekyll and Hyde. They threw on KDB, Gabriel Jesus, suffered some terrible non-penalty decisions by Martin Atkinson, who ratcheted up the violence late on to UFC bout levels, had an incredible spell of routine but majestic David De Gea saves. Sterling <laughs> blocked his own team's goal-bound shot late on. And there was just one piece of unpenalized violence after another. It really bogged down to a full-on battle of the bastards. 2-0, and you f***ed it up, sang the United fans. Pep, who began the day just as Devo-level winning Bilf, and ended up a crumpled mess, looking a bit like me, to be candid. A look GFOP Mark Dolce described with the German word, Weltschmerz, a feeling of melancholy and world weariness. At Slippy Penguin 11 said, Pep living the same emphatic emotions as the Atlanta Falcons at the Super Bowl, apart from Davo, he's still going to end up the winner. As I said, this game doesn't really mean anything in the, in the Premier League race. It just feels very significant because it came off that loss against Liverpool and because of the nature of the comeback. And by the way, I don't think the Man City, you can put it all down to complacency. I think you've got to hand all the referees' decisions and all those things. I think you've got to hand it to Man United and those players. They've come in for a lot of criticism this season, a lot of it somewhat undue as the media have fallen in love with Liverpool and Tottenham and just not given Man United a lot of credit. And i got to tell you, they came out, they played for their pride. I love that. In sport, you have to play till the end. You have to run through the tape, Rog. You've got to play all the way to the wire. And that's not just about being complacent. It's because people are going to come at you really hard. Lots of times in tennis, you go two sets up, you lose the next three, and you lose. You go like three up in a game of golf. You've got to play every hole. Somebody can come back and beat you one up on the last hole. You just have to play to the end just because you're two goals up it does not mean you win the game it's often the most dangerous lead in football Rog not just because of complacency because the other team come at you harder it's inevitable it's sport that's what happens oh, to playing every hole Dave to playing every hole because at the end of that game those scenes shocked stunned sobbing City fans grown men grown men holding on to each other in agony uh, like an 18, 19-year-old City fan, sobbing, sobbing, like I do when I watch Terms of Endearment on an airplane. These are fans of a team who have been ruthless entertainer assassins. Manchester City have slain all comers. As an Everton fan, I'm just like, what are you sobbing about, man? I looked on the City fan chat boards post-game. The comment I loved was, we locked five or six players and four to five hundred million pounds away from being an elite team. It's genuinely astonishing to me, as were the celebrations at the end of the game. If I was an alien, and in many, you think I am in many ways, who just landed here, it looked like United had just won the title and City had lost it all. I mean, God, respect. I'm raising this bud to the power of Schadenfreude, the delight in someone else's failure, because it is such a perverse and ennobling pleasure. It can feel better than a trophy. Question for you. Does it tarnish the Manchester City season? What has happened in the past seven days to Pep's mob? Well, look, the season isn't over, Rog. And I think the one thing that we've learned about in all of those endless television and newspaper debates about are Manchester City the best Premier League team ever, you really have to wait until the end of the season to analyse these things. Man City could come out tomorrow. They could end up beating Liverpool by four goals and going through in the Champions League. We're not at the end of the season yet. I don't think we can really talk about how it tarnishes them or doesn't tarnish them. This is a bad week. Teams have bad weeks. You know, we were reading our audiobook last week and we just said that, like, title-winning seasons are not straight lines. You know, they don't go start to finish. There are challenges that you have. That yep. is professional sport, Rog. That's there life. There are going to be challenges. Uh, this was a bad week, no doubt, for Manchester City. They're still a very, very good football team. They are the best team in England. They are, you know, one of the best teams in Europe. But, you know, yeah, this has been a tough week. I mean, it's fascinating, the Daily Mail screaming, why Manchester City's record-breaking season feels like a failure. I mean, the the knee-jerk flipping narrative is remarkable. Perception is not reality, people. I need to make this clear. This is a team that have crafted some of the most beautiful, powerful football I've ever seen, scored the most, conceded the least, been so dominant over the course of a season. I think part of it 
the hate now targeted at Pep, that his defense is a sham, that he buys success, that he doesn't learn his lessons, is like a reprisal of the fraudiola story that dominated the English press deliriously in the second half of last year when he was failing. To me, all we learn from this game, from this week, Davo, is that Manchester City are not immortal, which we really knew. They're not gods. They're not perfect. They're not untouchable. The good news is it means there will be a title race again. All those ridiculous headlines of December suggesting that the Premier League has become the Bundesliga and City are Bayern, that they're so far ahead of all the other competitors. We should just give them the trophy on the first day. City are the only team who can win the title in the next five years. That is not true. And to me, that's great news. Great, great, great news. Right, Burnley fans? You are going to win it all. Um, But for United, no trophy for Mourinho in this second season. But for him, this win probably provided him something he enjoys more, Dave, taking a crap in City's Premier League trophy. Well, and also, look, we said a few weeks ago, we talked about what will be the legacy of this season and that, you know, there was a suggestion that Jose Mourinho could not have a good season or a successful season at Man United if Man City won the trophy. This was like, you know, months and months ago. But, like, you finished second to... Man City in the league. And you know what? You show that you've got the ability to beat them, you know, at their ground in the game in which they're going to win the title. And Man United have got some momentum at the end of the season. And it doesn't all feel disastrous. And the team, Jose Mourinho, their fans will take a lot out of this. They will really take a lot out of this. Yeah. I mean, it also will quieten for the rest of the season the storyline about should Jose stay? Should he go at United? It was he who spoke at halftime, the players have said it was the players who responded to whatever he did say. And they responded in an old-fashioned, never-say-die-United style that used to occur week in, week out under Sir Alex that was really rather phenomenal. And a huge delight for Manchester United fans landing a real flesh wound on Manchester City, giving them a real black eye on this, their magical season. Everton nil, Liverpool nil, Rog. With the second leg of their Champions League clash with City looming on Tuesday, Klopp trots out the vaunted trio of Sadio Mane, Dominic Solanke and Danny Ings up top. Uh, Big Sam proceeded to shut down the game until a frantic last 20 minutes or so when Everton almost found a way through. But it ends on as even and Everton have now not won a derby in eight long years. How was the uh, derby weekend in the Bennett? multi-generational household, Rog. Possibly the worst way to kick off a 7.30 Saturday morning, Dave, with a bloody derby. I mean, there's no hope. There's no hope. There's no hope. And I watched with my dad. Still here, my dad. He's been here for two weeks. Feels like about seven months. And my kids. I've got to admit, as numb as I am at this point, the roar right before a derby kicks off. And I think you'll agree, Dave, any derby, that roar when the game is about to kick off, no matter how you're feeling about your team, about your season, about your squad, about your manager, no matter how you feel, when that roar, when the referee blows and the game kicks off, it fills your heart with love and fear and hope, right? Oh, that's so nice, Rog. So nice. Uh, and yet the performance didn't really didn't really fill your heart with joy, didn't really live up to that pre-match anticipation. Yeah, that pre-match anticipation, that love, that fear, that hope, it soon burnt off. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Oh, it was fast. It was wet. It was scrappy. It was turgid as hell. Liverpool eyes, as you say, on Tuesday's Champions League semi-final. They mothballed Mo Salah. They started John Henry in midfield. They made it clear they had bigger fish to fry. And Everton, oh my God, Everton. That football phrase, pass and move. I think they see both as optional. I mean, they played as if they were trying to make an avant-garde case to allow and empower the manager to make 10 substitutions in a Premier League game at halftime. I have watched, I have watched, and many of you Everton fans will agree with this, some truly awful Everton teams play derbies in the late 1990s when we were bloody awful. Even then, tiny terriers like Francis Jeffers would just step up to the Liverpool's goalkeeper, what was his name, Vesterveld, and just trade punches with him. I mean, totally, we would get stuck in for the derby. I mean, I remember Jeffers, Tiny guy punched the hell out of Sander and then shouted, I won on points and landed more key shots. I mean, this was an Everton team. When you know that history, to watch this, no fight, no yellow cards, no clue, toothless, careless, truly a whimper. And as I said, I watched with my dad, who does two things, two things that are really annoying. 
First of all, he drinks his coffee really, really, really loudly. He has a gulp that's almost ear-shattering. I don't understand the science of it, but each swallow, it's like Richter scale. Do you know anyone like that? My dearly departed mother, she would eat an apple with the volume. It was like literally she was holding a loudspeaker and yelling in my ear with how loudly she ate an apple. Yeah, the thing that's annoying about it, it's such a small thing, you can't bring it up. Like if I said to him, Dad, can you drink your coffee a bit quieter? He just, I'm just drinking it. And we'd be in it. So you can't say you just have to sit there and take it. And he also tuts every bad Everton passer move. He tuts them. Oh, goes like that. Oh. So the second half was just watching crap Everton football, total crap. And it was just, oh, oh, oh. And I honestly wanted to tear my eyes out. It was awful. <laughs> it could have been worse, Rog. It could have been Wayne Rooney. Oh, Wayne. Subbed on 57 minutes, disgusted as he walked off. A local boy who said that he came back in Everton in large part to play derbies. And in truth, let's be candid, watching him in midfield, it is like, it's like the closest thing you'll get to watching Mickey Rourke do a sequel to the wrestler, Randy the Ram Robinson in the Everton midfield. And he sat on the bench just seething. In Liverpool, we say, he had a cob on. He was like that angry. And he had a big cob on. I just imagined him looking at Zlatan's goal for the Galaxy in the warm with the palm trees in LA. And he's like, why am I bothering trotting around the frozen fields of England again? Like, he wouldn't have liked what he saw from the bench. Everton, so much better without him. With 10 minutes to go, a derby did break out. Fight, tackles, fury. Everton fans like medieval peasants revolting again at Goodison Park. Somehow, though, it only added to the pathos of the whole event, Davo, because even against this crappy Liverpool team, this weakened, unmotivated, could not be bothered lineup, Everton, they couldn't end the nightmare run. And it is a nightmare run of 17 derbies. I think it would have been less humiliating to have battled a full strength Liverpool lineup and been beaten than to play so insipidly, insipidly, and just be treated by Liverpool as if we do not matter. Impotent, irrelevant. That made the draw feel even worse. Do you understand those feelings? No, not really. But, um, I mean, it's not like I'm having a great time as a Chelsea fan either. But the the impotence and the pointlessness of this Everton season, Rog, and, you know, at least there's a sense that at Chelsea that the whole thing is going to be blown up and dismantled and changed because that's what Roman Abramovich does pretty much every year or every two years on his two-year cycle. It just I don't know what the change is going to be at Everton, Rog. I don't know what's going to change about the culture of that club. It's fair. I mean, it has been a lost season, a lost season devoid of joy and hope. I had to deal with my brother, Nige, who, as many of you know, is a Liverpool season ticket holder, currently drunk on the post-coital excitement of Liverpool 3, Manchester City nil. And he really annoyed me. I didn't tell him this on the phone. It really annoyed me. I pretend it didn't matter. But he goes, we we Liverpool fans, we don't really even see this game as a rivalry anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Is that not the worst? Yeah, it is. It's awful. It it reminded me of when I lived in DC. And I've said this before a couple of years ago on the pod. I, I lived for four years in DC before I moved to New York. And I was always fascinated by the local city paper, which was then edited by the great David Carr. And they always had an annual issue t- dedicated to the Washington-New York rivalry for which they, like, they'd say, which is the coolest city in America, New York or D.C.? And they'd always list a hundred awfully forced reasons why D.C. is winning the alleged rivalry. And then I moved to New York and I was instantly astonished that this how do we measure against D.C. battle was just not a conversation anyone was having. And that's what I worry about, about the Liverpool and Everton thing. Quick note on Liverpool. Is there any chance they could lose the Champions League tie on Tuesday against City, David? 3-0 up after the first leg. Absolutely. Look, you you know how much talent this Man City side said. You said it earlier in the pod. They have the ability to score four goals against anyone. They could have scored four goals this weekend. They could have scored seven. And Liverpool, it's not like you look at that defence and you think, well, they're solid. So, yeah, they're absolutely the chance. Definitely Liverpool, the heavy favourites. I expect Liverpool to go through. But I would not be surprised if Man City make it a tie. I find it hard not to see that Liverpool front line screwing against that City back line. But City more than capable of blasting five plus Liverpool Football Club. Stoke, one, Rod, Tottenham two. Bust out the mead and grab a turkey leg. Renaissance fair (laughs) reenactor Christian Eriksen's second half double. Lift Spurs past a medieval in their own right. Stoke, who are in 19th place, Rod. Four desperate points from safety. 
Tottenham extend their lead over fifth place Chelsea to 10 points. Scrappy win. Desperate Stoke. Biggest positives for Spurs fans. 90 minutes from Harry Kane mm. and Danny Rose. Another week, another big Christian Eriksen goal, another Hugo Lloris egregious error. I did love, Dave, and this is for you, you, and your heading of I love men, just how hard Harry Kane claimed to have scored the winner, which went nowhere near him off a Christian Eriksen cross, but he seems to believe touched his shoulder. He said, I swear on my daughter's life that I touched the ball, but there's nothing I can do. If they turn it around, they turn it around. If they take my word... They take my word, meaning the dubious goals panel. That is a savage competitor trying to do anything he can to close the gap on the golden boot with Mo Salah. He's not going to win the golden boot, but with comments like those, Dave, I swear on my daughter's life, he might just win England's dad of the year. Oh, he must have felt it hit his shoulder, Rod. You've got to take him at his word, even yeah. despite all the replays. It's poor daughter, though, Dave. It's poor. What would you rather have? A falsely won golden boot? Oh, and a live daughter. In other Spurs news, I was fascinated. <laughs> By the way, you had to think about that, didn't you? I was fascinated. For a second, it's just, like, it's just laughing at your mind. Where would I put the golden, where would I put the golden boot? Um, the, <laughs> it was fascinating to hear that in a Spurs locker room brimming with young talent and a restrictive wage structure, that Daniel Levy, Spurs chairman, the maestro behind the Spurs stadium move and master plan, was paid $8.5 million last season. I did immediately wonder, what will be the impact of that news over the summer in contract negotiations with the likes of Delhi, Harry Kane, Toby Alderweireld? Number two, it's going to be hard for Levy to negotiate with a straight face. We just don't have the money. And number three, who do you think leaked that out? I'm sure it's the, it's the dirty games played by agents for these players, uh, is my sense. <laughs> Maybe Daniel Levy should put in a shift and play a few games in the number nine <laughs> shirt for see how it goes. You were one man team. And see that, how he does. And that man's Daniel Levy. In other North London news. Yes, Arsenal three, Southampton two. Arsene Wenger's men with their sixth on the spin. A Pierre Emerick Aubameyang goal, his sixth in his first seven Premier League games, and a brace from that guy Welbs. Atone for some defensive lapses. Arsenal are still in sixth place, but now within three points of fifth place Chelsea Southampton meanwhile they're still three points from safety and look to be making it very easy for us to avoid talking about Mark Hughes next year exciting game though this oh stealth great game of the weekend goals red cards most shocking of all Welbs the hero yeah Danny Welbs shook the shame of only starting in a Premier League game because Arsene Wenger was cotton wooling the big dogs for the Europa League Welbs don't care though Dave he, he don't care it's a very interesting thing. You always have to remember in a World Cup year, those players on the fringes of World Cup selection, they have to get in the headlines. They have to make an impact. And so Welb sitting there trying to make it into England's squad. He has a, a game. Not everything was brilliant, Rog, but he had some moments. Oh, he found the net. He had a horror miss, an open goal from a yard out, Brexier range. But then scorn, derision, scored a fine winner brazenly dipping into half of his goal ration for next season. Welbs, derided, dismissed and ignoring the haters, twice to fuel a come-from-behind 3-2 win. He's English Pogba. Arsenal now won six games on the trot. That awful start to 2018 when loss followed loss, Wenger outside seemed to be faintly visible all over the universe. Seems like a memory, and partly because Arsenal, Davo, they've saved themselves for the Europa League bit like AC Green saving himself until marriage. Well, it's because they can't win the fourth place trophy this year, Rog. They've got to win the Europa League in order to get something equivalent to the fourth place trophy, which is a place in the Champions God, League next season. They were so imperious, delicate, wonderful, collective against CSKA Moscow. Aaron Ramsey goal for the ages that will surely see them into the semi-final. I would love, I'm going to say this, Davo, I would love, I would love Arsenal to win the Europa League. All the haters, more arson, four more years. You'd love that, wouldn't you? I would. Yeah? It's so good. Although Arsenal, being Arsenal, they'll probably get into the final, score first, and then leak three or four times. Bad news for Southampton. Premier League rules state, when Danny Welbeck scores against you, you are automatically relegated. So farewell, Saints. We loved you. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Unbelievable to see Southampton and Stoke, two teams who 
we've just been so accustomed to seeing in the Premier League really, really struggling, looking uh, in trouble right at the bottom of the league. Uh, talking at the bottom of the league, Bournemouth 2, Crystal Palace 2, Rod. Oh, heartbreaking. It's going to be another heartbreaking issue of the Colf School New York City alumni newsletter this week, Rog. My former classmate actually was in the year above me and Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parrish's side dropped points thanks to another goal in the dying embers, leading 2-1 in the 89th minute, Rog, behind goals from South London's big boy and Andre 3000, uh, Luka Milivojevic and Wilfred Zaha. Palace allowed Joshua King to get in behind the defence and poke home the equaliser. Palace in that 17th place turtle head table spot, three points from the drop zone. God, they are contractually obliged to throw points away. I'm realising in the Diambas four times in six weeks now, they've conceded late. They didn't disappoint this week after Wilford Zaha, the solo threat on a level with Jason Bourne, have put them in the lead. I mean, no player has brought top bin Swaz so consistently as the great Wilford. But Palace is what Palace does. And this week, they waited to the 89th minute. And this is painful, really. I hate this. I hate this stat. In their last six games, Palace have now dropped eight points from winning positions, five of those in the final 10 minutes of games, which is mental torture for Roy Hodgson and his valiant squad who cannot close out games. Have you ever watched? Have you ever seen? Have you ever witnessed a team in the relegation zone be both so audacious and so self-sabotaging in equal measure? Yeah, I mean, it's just tough. I mean, obviously, there's a collective lack of confidence now when they get past the 80th minute and they have a lead. Uh, And I think other teams realise that and they're coming at them hard. Uh, Breaking news, Roger, I'm going to the Watford versus Palace game weekend after next. I'm going to go to the Watford boardroom. Quite looking forward to that. I'm going to go and watch them live, hoping, (sighs) hoping, hoping for a win in that game. That is Uh, a glamorous Premier League existence you're really doing there. Crystal Palace against Watford. Watford. What do you imagine the Watford boardroom is going to look like? I imagine a lot of lucite, a bit of pleather. Well, I'll send you pictures. I think it's going to be nice. I'm sure we'll get a warm welcome. And we'll be suited and booted, suits and ties, and go and watch some football. Dave won't meet Richarlison. I want photos. <laughs> be lucky to meet their mascot. Um, Harry Lester. the Hornet. I can hook you up, bro. He's a friend of, he's a GFOP. Yeah, I think we interviewed him, I remember. Dave out that night, out on the lash in Watford, <laughs> at a Pizza Express with Parrish, Richarlison, and Harry the Hornet. It was off the hook, bro. Uh, Leicester 1, Newcastle 2 the Toon win their third in a row thanks to goals from John Joe Shelby for England, I don't think he's going to make the squad and a Jose Perez, the victory puts them on 38 points and wait for it Rog, in the top half of the table, manager of the year yeah, he is, Rafa Benitez right, because he's done it all on his own it's not the players, it's not the, certainly not the transfers, it can only be Rafa leading a team who've harvested the fifth most points over the last 10 games behind the top four, which is just an astonishing feat by a mighty powerball, Rafa Benitez, who is desperate to leave Tyneside. I will say, if I was running US soccer, Davo, I would be whining and dining Rafa Benitez. He is a genius. He'd make DeAndre the captain on the field. Let's start it here. Rafa Benitez for USA. I'd also, I could also like him back at Chelsea. Uh, Rog, we will see. Hands off uh, his ours. Watford 1, Burnley 2. Mighty Burnley march on the Vic and come back from a goal down to claim victory. Rough and tumble goals from Sam Vokes and Jack Cork in the 70th and 73rd minutes. Keep the Clarets in 7th. Move them 6 points clear of 8th place Leicester. Brace yourself. European football is coming to Burnley, which is hard to believe. Amazing. Another great achievement, mate. While we're we're toasting Rafa to toast Sean Deitch in a Premier League that's defined by money. This is another stealth story that has really not gotten the respect it deserves because I can't wait. I cannot wait for like Dortmund to travel to Turf Moor next season. Oh, be amazing. What is this place? Turf Moor? <laughs> Why did we not bomb this place during the war? Uh, Brighton won. We did. It never won. recovered. Yeah, a nervy. There was nothing there to bomb. <laughs> a nervy affair between two cuddly teams fighting for their Premier League lives. Brighton took the lead through a Jonas Lusul own goal in the 29th minute, only to concede to Steve Mounier three minutes later. Brighton in 13th on 35 points. Huddersfield in 16th on 32. West Brom 1, Swansea 1. The anyone but Alan Pardew bounce sees the baggies. Nick a point off the Swans. Jay Rodriguez and Tammy Abraham finally, Rog, second half goals cancel each other out. West Brom still 10 points from safety. 
The Swans in 15th, four from the very bad place. And Chelsea won, West Ham won. Uh, Dave Rodge put Chelsea mm. ahead in this London derby through 36 minutes Spanish corner scraps. But the Irons found a way back into the game through second half sub. Fox in the box. Chicharito, the El Tri star, slapped home the winner in the 73rd minute, just three minutes after coming on. The Mexico star has been a sub at Stamford Bridge four times in the Premier League and scored in each one of those four Amazing. matches. He loves the Chelsea. Sign him up, Roman. <sighs> David Moyes, men, moves six points clear of the drop as Chelsea fall further adrift of the top four. Oh, Chelsea, David. It's hard to believe, but Chelsea were second when 2018 began. Just yeah. three wins, though, since January the 1st. They're now 10 points, 10 points behind Tottenham with six games left. In this game, chance after chance to lock the win down. We have to mention this because it's genuinely astonishing, even more than Welbs for a comeback, even more than United. Joe Hart's brilliant. Joe Hart's defined. Yes, I said this. Credit where credit's due. It's like Joe Hart of the ferocious tunnel days. Well played, England's number four. You had Murata, hell-bent on locking down the offside goal, Blonde or and the rest of the team who look like they've been training on their own at home with the Raz Sterling finishing clinic DVD. More of the same, we've talked about Chelsea ad nauseum, about Antonio Conte's long farewell to a friend, and watching this game, Ed Nazard, who seems to be phoning it in, hinting possibly at a future that's hazardless. But for you, this weekend was all about mourning a Chelsea great, David. Yeah, I mean, talking of the farewells, Rog, a, an amazing farewell to a True Chelsea legend, uh, Ray Butch Wilkins, moving scenes before this game. And I have to say, as you really know when a Premier League player is loved, you know, West Ham and Chelsea, these are two sets of fans who do not get along, Rod. And West Ham, the fans have got a lot of bad press this season, but I have to shout out the West Ham fans who participated and in some cases led the tributes to the former uh, Chelsea captain and assistant manager, uh, Chelsea legend Ray Wilkins, before the game. So shout out to the West Ham fans. It was a, yeah, the legendary number eight, Rog, Ray Butch Wilkins, captain the side in the 1970s. At the age of 18, Rog, he became Chelsea captain. An amazing player, was England captain also. He was one of the first English players that we grew up with who was actually good enough to go and play uh, on the continent, uh, went to AC Milan, oh. played at PSG, was even brave enough to go to Scotland, went to Rangers, won a Scottish Premier League title, came back to the club, was assistant manager of the club under uh, Viali, assistant manager again under Carlo Ancelotti. You know, a really great midfield player, midfield player who combined, you know, a lot of toughness on the ball, great skill, a vision for the game. But he just had that quality, Rog. The Chelsea fans sung this. The banners said it. They sung the song. Ray Wilkins, one of our own. He was a player who felt like that he was one of the fans, that he was part of the club. Died very prematurely. 61. um, At the age of 61. Terrible, terrible. A proper London footballer in every regard. Looking at him from Liverpool, you looked at him as everything that was sophisticated and cultured as a footballer about the way Londoners like their style, the way Chelsea in their flamboyant and solid. But my God, he could be absolutely suave and visionary when he wanted. When you pass away, how you are talked about, the hundreds and hundreds of stories of, of, of just quiet deeds of great work he did for the people around him, the young players who he helped develop, but also complete strangers who he had very passing relations, soldiers that he did unbelievably great deeds for, who spoke up upon his passing, a nobility that ran deep inside Ray Wilkins as a core and wonderful value. There's not many podcasts, though, Davo, that do shout-outs to two people in one podcast, one to the West Ham fans and one to the pro at Kiowa Island Golf Club. That is a proper Davo moment. The big suspense for the rest of the season. Will you finish fifth? Or will you finish six? Not not much. Yeah, doesn't bother you whatsoever. Hardly a cliffhanger. To be honest, though, I imagine Roman Abramovich probably a bit more preoccupied with wondering whether there's nerve agent on every door handle he touches right now. (laughs) I really don't know. I've got nothing to say about Chelsea behind the scenes. They are just broken. Okay, Rog, props to Arsenal supporter. Kirsten Nine for winning our Togger League this week. A patch is in the mail. And in MLS... After last week's epic El Trafico collapse, poor LAFC, Rog, they caught an ATL beatdown. Uh, Paperboy's favourite team saw off Bob Bradley's men 5-0 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium with German uh, Julian Gressel. 
Go, Julian, go! At the heart of much that was good, Bob Bradley's post-match root beer will have tasted a little dog tinkly. In the other big game of the weekend, Zlatan came on as a second-half substitute with his LA Galaxy floundering. But alas, no late-game heroics this week as Kansas City held him at bay to win 2-0. Oh, what a game. Zlatan mania has taken grip of California, of the nation, really, in a remarkable fashion. I did love the local newscaster who mispronounced him as Slaytan, which <laughs> rhymed with Spreetan, which I think I actually see as an improvement. And on this day, Slaytan was the sub. But let's just say LA Galaxy without Zlatan are about as much fun as The Office once Steve Carell had left it. They went 2-0 down. In the second half, which is, I think is exactly what Zlatan likes contractually, he can only come on to save the world. And as he prepared to come on, 62nd minute, I did love, I want to say this to the LA Galaxy coaching staff, I loved the assistant coach who went through the charade of standing by Zlatan when he was about to come on with a clipboard, like pointing out really excitedly exactly what they wanted them to do, as if, <laughs> as if like 50-yard miracle goals are, are part of a well-honed practice game plan that they spent a lot of the week training on. There's a great scene in, the, in Once in a Lifetime, the New York Cosmos movie that I was involved in. That you directed. A, an assistant coach for New York Cosmos is briefing Franz Beckenbauer <laughs> with a clipboard <laughs> on exactly how to get the ball to Giorgio Canalia so he can score. And the look on Franz Beckenbauer's face as he's listening to this idiot try and tell him how to go and play football. It's very interesting. Oh, America. Zlatan did come on. And I will say, single-handedly make the Kansas backline quake in fear. He is super slow. There's no doubt in it. But he's got this incredible bag of tricks that he's honed in his 19-year elite career. He's got like his, his rope-a-dope. He's got like his flea flicker. He's got like his fumble ruski and he he kind of gets the ball and he you can see his mind decide which one am i going to do now and sometimes he's just like F- it i'm gonna just unleash a long range bomb and he did he just kept firing the ball from just ridiculous distances a bit like a ball brother firing up trays at chino hills 10 saves from kansas city goalkeeper tim melia kept the third person lion at bay and it all i'll say it felt a little anticlimactic a bit like watching lynn sanity all over again, Slayton Sanity 2.0. Slayton! <laughs> That's so good. Uh, Jill Ellis's U.S. Women's National Team defeated Mexico in a pair of games over the last several days. The first, a 4-1 victory in Jacksonville Thursday. The second, a 6-2 comeback victory yesterday in Houston, in which Carly Lloyd scored a 100th goal for the U.S. of A. Oh, here's a stat I love about Carly Lloyd's magnificent ton. She scored 64 of those beautiful goals after turning 30. So there's hope for us all, Davey. Yeah. If you're listening in a cubicle somewhere in America, never give up on your dreams. As Davey says, play every hole. The upcoming sting stamina required Premier League looks like this. Four back-to-back games Saturday. Roger starts at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time with Southampton versus Chelsea. That's followed by Palace versus Brighton. That's a huge Premier League rivalry, Rog. It's almost inexplicable, but it's a huge rivalry. That's at 10 a.m. Liverpool versus Bournemouth at 12.30 p.m. And Tottenham versus Man City at 2.45 Eastern. Man United play West Brom Sunday at 11 Eastern time. All those games on NBCSN. Over on ESPN Sunday, Sporting KC take on Seattle at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And a reminder not to watch those two Men in Blazers TV shows. Stay away from your TVs Monday and Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time on NBCSN. In addition, we want to give huge love and huge respect to Toronto and the New York Red Bulls who are representing our country in the only Champions League that matters. Yes, the CONCACAF won this Mm. week in the semi-final. They both put themselves in a Red Bulls, you can still do it position. Toronto looking amazing to reach the final of the big one. Uh, there are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Bald Mart, Rog. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Bald Mart, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal, content. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Rochelle, Leo? A book. Oh. Homie, don't play that. A story of in living color and the black comedy revolution by David Peisner. It is a reliving of the creation and life of In Living Colour, that magnificent, magnificent sketch comedy show which ran for five seasons on Big Fox in the early 90s and became a real cultural juggernaut, bringing the underground tradition of 
of kind of controversial yet brilliant African-American comedy right into the mainstream, changing the way that many people talk about race and also launching the careers of so many people that you know and love, Dave, the Wayans, Jamie Foxx, Jim Bloody Carey, Jennifer Lopez, Rosie Perez along the way. It was written, the book, by a GFOP, David Peisner, who wrote to us that the book has no connection at all to World War I poetry, the Cossacks, Dana Plato, or Tweed, but if nothing else, it's the perfect size to hurl at the television as you watch Big Sam maneuver Everton to mid-table obscurity. David, it's more than that. It's more than that. Buy a copy if you loved the show and want to relive TV comedy history. I loved it. Oh, I'm going to get that. Keenan uh, and Damon and Marlon Wayans, two of my favorite people I've ever worked with, Rog. Uh, okay, uh, I'm putting in a book to Rog. It's called Survive Like a Spy. Real CIA operatives reveal how they stay safe in a dangerous world and how you can too. I know you say, Rog, that your idea is always to run away, but... This book is just excellent. It's full of unbelievable tips from CIA, former Mossad, all kinds of operatives who just give you just various, various, various tips on how to survive, how to recognize people, how to recognize danger, how to like deal with threats, how to protect uh, the people you love. I bought it for my plane ride uh, to fly from Atlanta to LA this weekend. I ended up just uh, watching football and watching the Masters for the whole flight. But I started reading this yesterday. It is superb. Great job, Jason Hansen. Survived like a spy. It's uh, my nom de plume, Nate. Yeah, Jason Hansen. Good. I love it, Rog. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers at Embassy Davies at Rog Bennett on Instagram at Men in Blazers at Embassy underscore Davies on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at <sighs> gmail.com. Vendor punk, Rog. War pig! Who wants the sex matombo? I like snacks. Ball to win, ball to win. Oh, sorry, Pat, mate. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. Yeah, they do. To Tweed. I've got to rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Play every hole, Davo. Play every hole. Love you, Roger. Love you, Davo. <laughs>